Welcome to New Hope Live. This is the live stream sermon teaching of New Hope Presbyterian Church. My name is Tommy Allen. I am the lead pastor. And so I thought I would open this morning with a call. So today's call is from Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 8. Hear the word of God. Is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is, not, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that this morning you would come and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that as we are all, um, even as I am speaking uh, under basically stay home, stay safe orders, uh, wherever we are in the country, I pray that you would keep people safe. I pray that you would heal those who are uh, sick. I pray that you would keep those who are at high risk from getting sick, especially uh, with the coronavirus. And so I just pray that you would come now and you be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now, typically, if we were at church, I would do a call to worship and remind you that God always initiates with sinners. And then I'd say, now we're always responding to that call. And the way we respond to that call typically is by confessing our sins. And we do that not to grovel in our guilt, but to deal with it. There's a confession of sin, I believe, in the comments section. And so I'm going to walk through that. If, you, if you're if you watching this live, uh, I believe you could pause it even now. Or if you're watching it later, you can pause it. Because um, I'm going to give you a moment to confess your sins silently. But I'm going to keep going. And I realize some of you need a lot more time than others. So <laughs> that was a joke. All right. Let's confess our sin together. And so let's pray. Almighty God, your mercy is higher than the heavens wider than our wanderings, deeper than our sin. Forgive our shallow attitude toward life, our callousness toward suffering, our envy of others, our neglect of your wise law. Help us to change the way we live so that we may desire what is good, love what you command, and love what you love and do what you command through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you'd like to take a moment to pause and confess your sins silently, you do that. Otherwise, if you have confessed your sins unto Jesus, I say to you, um, know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Amen and amen. Okay, this morning, as we continue on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And remember, up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, at the end of chapter 5, Jesus told his disciples, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect perfect. And then he began chapter six by saying, basically, be careful though. In, in other words, your goodness can get you in as much trouble as your badness. And you can use your goodness to, to be self-righteous and to, to look for the attention of others. And he really took on directly three major pillars of Jewish piety, right? And so in Jesus' day, if you were a faithful Jew, if you were a pious Jew, you would engage in three practices at least. And those practices would be giving, they would be prayer, and they would be fasting. So we've talked about um, almsgiving and prayer. And remember, the, the hypocrite um, gives and the hypocrite prays in order to be seen by others. 
right? Remember, it was pretty funny, actually, when he talked about giving. He says, the hypocrite toots their own horn. They, they, they blow the trumpet. Hey, look, I'm giving. And they also, when they pray, they wait until they're on a street corner to pray very publicly so that people will say, wow, that guy is super spiritual. Today, it's interesting because in the first two things, in giving and praying, um, the hypocrite makes himself or herself look good in order to be seen. And today when Jesus talks about fasting, it's interesting because the hypocrite uh, makes him or herself bad to be seen. In, in other words, they disfigure themselves and they go, oh, I'm fasting. So anyhow, with all of that said, um, let me read the text to you. And so the text is this, verse 16, he says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in season secret will reward you. So let me ask you this question. The, the, today, today's opening question is this, is when, basically when is the last time that you fasted and why? Now, before you answer that question, let me define fasting relatively narrowly, or yeah, let me do that. Basically, by that, by fasting, I mean basically a denying of yourself of food for some period of time or food and water for some period of time. So in, in other words, when I say, when is the last time you fasted and why? I don't mean you stopped using Facebook for a week or you went stopped using Twitter or you just stopped eating chocolate for Lent. I mean, when is the last time you actually fasted from food and why? And most answers that people will give you to that question basically um, fall into the category of fasting in order to get some kind of benefit. In other words, so when the last time you fasted, let's say it was last week, and if you say, when did I, what, why did you fast? Typically, the answer has to do with, I did it to gain some kind of benefit. So for example, people do it for spiritual growth, right? Maybe I'm just doing it so I can focus more on, on Bible prayer. Some people do it in order to persuade God. At least we think we, we do that. Remember, the, our denomination a few weeks ago had a call to prayer and fasting. And oftentimes, I think the way we look at that is that we say, wow, okay, we're not only gonna pray, but we're gonna fast and we're gonna show God how serious we are about this thing. And if we can prove to him that we're super serious about this, it will cause him to move. And so we're really fasting in order to, to push God, if you will, to gain, gain his favor. And then the other one, of course, is just some people fast for health benefits. And just as a side note, there are a lot of health benefits. I, I fast pretty often for health benefits, right? They're finding that it has uh, benefits to longevity, lump benefits for diabetes, benefits for, for weight loss, all of these kinds of things. So it's a valid thing to do spiritually or even just health-wise. The, the kind of fastings I just explained to you are what theologians would call the, the instrumental theory of fasting. And the instrumental theory of fasting is basically when you do fasting in order to gain some benefit. Now, here's the thing. Instrumental fasting, fasting in order to gain some benefit, is valid, but it's not taught anywhere in the Bible. It's just not taught. I mean, all of the things, it's, fasting is one of those things where we think we know what the Bible teaches, but when you start looking for it, it's not, it's not in there at all. Now, are those things unbiblical? 
to fast in order to pray more or to fast for help. They're not unbiblical. They're just not prescribed in the Bible. In other words, the Bible doesn't say fast because of this. And so um, I know some of you are, when I said that, are thinking, skirt, you know, like, <laughs> what does he mean? Um, well, obviously we're gonna talk about it today. We're gonna look at two things today. Basically, we're gonna look at the purpose of fasting and we're gonna look at the practice of fasting. So what is the, what's the purpose of fasting? What's the why behind it? But then we're gonna look at what Jesus teaches about the, the actual practice of it. And his, the practice of it is quite different than I think we would typically think of if we had to come up with it for ourselves. And so, so the purpose of fasting. So when you think about the purpose of fasting, it's helpful, I think, to get a good definition. And so the definition I'm gonna give you now comes from a biblical commentator named Scott McKnight. And he says, this is his definition. Fasting means a human being refrains from food or water or both for a limited time period in response to some sacred grievous moment. And those moments could be like death, they could be threat of war, they could be sins, they could be fear of judgment, they could be a pandemic. In other words, the when you look at fasting in the Bible, fasting is always a response to something. That something grievous happens, something bad happens, something big happens, something unplanned happens, and fasting is called for, or people just engage in fasting. That's quite different. In, in other words, the reason that we fast is basically we do it in order to enter into God's perspective on events and to enter into God's sorrow and enter into God's grief. In other words, when the reason that we fast is to, to get God's perspective on events. In other words, fasting is relational. It's not transactional. We tend to think of fasting, at least I do, in terms of transaction. God, I'm going to fast and you do this for me. And really what fasting is, is it's relational. Some grievous event has happened. Maybe um, God's glory is being called into question or something. And people are called to fast to get God's perspective on those things. And we do that actually, I think, naturally. So think about this. Imagine you have a friend who, who has, has lost a child or lost a spouse, or maybe they're, they're in the hospital with their, their spouse who, who's probably not going to make it, and you go to visit them in the hospital. What do you do with them? Do, do you walk in you know, with a bag of chips and sort of like, hey, how are you doing? You know, and like, no, in those situations, we get very present and we certainly don't eat. We, 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 enter, we try to enter into their perspective, to their suffering. A lot of times that just means we just sit there I mean, as a pastor, I've visited a lot of people in hospitals, um, and most of the time, I'm not saying anything. I'm simply trying to be there and enter into their grief and enter into their suffering. And when we fast, that is what we are doing. And the interesting thing about fasting is that, that we are both body and soul, right? That's what differentiates Christianity from Gnosticism or, or, or anything else. Is, is that our souls and our body are intimately connected. And so what that means is when we fast, we're actually using our body to teach our soul something. That, that our body experiences hunger, our body experiences discomfort, our body experiences suffering, if you will. And what it's doing is it's helping our soul to understand 
God's perspective on events or, or it helps us to be more present. And what's interesting about that, because our bodies and our souls are connected, that's why you also see fasting reveals our sins oftentimes, right? We call it getting hangry, but at the end of the day, when you're fasting and you haven't eaten and suddenly you're angry or suddenly things are frustrating to you or it reveals our gluttony, it reveals our boredom, it reveals our anger, it reveals a lot of things oftentimes. And so because it reveals that, it also reveals our need for the gospel. In other words, if you think of if fasting is entering into God's perspective on things, one of God's perspectives on us is y'all need Jesus, right? <laughs> that, that you've got sins, you've got troubles, you've got brokenness. God's perspective on us is that, but it's also his perspective on us is love and care and concern. And for that, he sent Jesus in order to, to die for us. Now, when you look at the Bible, uh, generally speaking, there's three major themes that arise when you talk about fasting. The first, the only prescribed place in the Bible where, where fasting is prescribed, where God says you must do it, is on the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus chapter 16, um, God says this to them. He says, and it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves. That's afflicting themselves means fasting. And you shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. And for on this day, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord and for all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you. You shall afflict yourself. It is a statute forever. He mentions it again in Leviticus 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now on the 10th day of the seventh month is a day of atonement. And it shall be for you a time of holy convocation and you shall afflict yourself and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that day for it is a day of atonement to make atonement to you before the Lord. So, what is the tragic event that they are being called to enter into on the Day of Atonement? They're called to fast, and the fast, if I'm right, the fast is that they might get God's perspective on things. And will the Day of Atonement, they fast, and the perspective they get is on their incredible need for forgiveness, their incredible need for their sins to be forgiven. The other perspective that they get is of the incredible cost for their sins that all these animals have to be sacrificed and all this blood has to be shed in order for their sins to be forgiven. So they get God's perspective on themselves, but they also get God's perspective on what it's going to cost. And if you bring that forward to the New Testament when we fast and we look at the, for, for the same reasons, not for the Day of Atonement, but when we fast and we look at what it was going to cost God, what is his perspective, one, that we are sinners, Second, is that it's going to be an incredible cost for him. Fasting helps us to enter into that and understand that and be present in it rather than for it to just be math, right? Sin plus Jesus plus the cross equals forgiveness. Now I just go on with my life. What fasting is calling us to do is actually enter in to, to, to relationship with God. The second event, the, the second kind of reason that you see fasting is when a grievous event happens. Now, these are all descriptive in the Old Testament, but when you see them happen, um, it's because some grievous event happened. One interesting one to me is in Psalm 35, David's enemies are pursuing him, and David prays for them. He actually prays for his enemies to, to be healed, but he also fasts for them. And 
Psalm 35, uh, verses 11 through 14, he says, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with my head bowed to my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my fr friend or my brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. Now you see why David fasted there. He fasted to enter in to the, the grief of his friend and God's perspective. You think about it, if you have enemies and you're praying for them and you're also fasting to that end and you begin to see God's perspective on your enemies, you realize that they maybe need mercy more than they need your anger. You realize that maybe they need compassion more than they need your scorn as well as you need the same things. You also see a fast called in Ezra chapter eight. Remember, I, I actually love this passage because Ezra calls Israel together. They're getting ready to leave uh, Babylon to go to the back to Jerusalem. And he has been too ashamed to ask the king um, for guards along the way. In other words, you go in and you say, my God could do anything. My God could take us there, it's this and that. And the king's like, okay, go. He was afraid for God's glory that he, that he if he asked the king for guards, he, the king would say, I, I thought your God was gonna take care of you. And so he calls all of Israel together and he calls a fast that they might humble themselves before God and that God may take them into to Jerusalem safely. But he admits, he says, but I was too ashamed to ask the king for help. And the last thing we see is that the Psalms are, are fasting is often an expression of faith in the promises of God, right? You're gonna, you're gonna go without um, in order to, to, in some sense, test God. I don't really mean it that way, but, it, but in some ways to put your faith in God. The greatest example of that um, is Jesus, right? In Matthew chapter four. Think about Matthew, let me read you the first four verses of Matthew chapter four. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So in other words, Jesus fasted for 40 days to get God's perspective on everything. But what's interesting about Jesus fasting for 40 days, if our fasting helps us see things from God's perspective, I think Jesus fasting helped him see things from our perspective. In other words, if you, if you think about the rest of the New Testament, it says that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. We, we have a brother who's tempted in all things like we were. In, in other words, when Jesus went to the wilderness and he fasted, um, it in some ways was identification with us. And, and he, when he fasted, he fasted for us. And when he went to the wilderness, he, he resisted temptation for us. And when he went to the wilderness and succeeded, he succeeded for us. And so we see Jesus fasting in order to, to, to gain perspective, I think on his whole mission, but also when tested, he responded with the promises of God. Now, how do we, how do we pull these things together? How do we practice fasting, right? So I've given you examples and I've given you definitions, but what does it mean? What, what does Jesus say? Well, that's what we'll look at now. Look at verse uh, 16 as we talk about the practice of fasting now. Jesus says, when you fast, 
Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So, first thing to notice is Jesus says to his disciples, when you fast, not if. So Jesus expects that they will be fasting from time to time. The other thing um, is that even though fasting isn't commanded anywhere in the Old Testament, except the Day of Atonement, um, by the time of Jesus, by the time Jesus was teaching here, fasting was a, a biweekly uh, practice for most pious Jews. And most people are not even sure where exactly that came from. But by this time, if you remember Luke 18, the Pharisee and the tax collector, when he's giving his list of righteousness before God, you know, thank God I'm not like him. And he talks about all the things he does. One of the things he says is, I fast two times a week. Typically, they would have fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And what's interesting is, is what, what did the fast look like for them? It was basically one evening meal to the next evening meal. If you're, if you're into fitness and things, they did OMAD twice a week and one meal a day. That's what OMAD stands for. And I, I do, I think I've, I mentioned in my sermon teaser a couple of days ago that I, before the whole pandemic happened, I was doing OMAD for, for quite a while. And, you know, honestly being stuck at home with all the food made it a lot harder. So I only skip breakfast now. So what I, know, I can tell you from personal experience about one meal a day is on one hand, um, it's not heroic. It's not like you're doing a 40 day fast. It's, but on the other hand, it's not easy either. You know, people say, oh, after a while you forget about your hunger cravings. That wasn't the case for me. I mean, I might get busy and forget about it, but I was, I was conscious of it all the time. Couldn't wait for dinner, you know, all that kind of thing. That's what it was like for them twice a week. And Jesus says, when you do that, don't look gloomy. And, and the word here is, is basically has to do with disfiguring your face, you know, that they would make sure everyone knew like, mm, I'm fasting today. It's sort of like, I was trying to think of some example in, in our life, you know, like in our family, one of the jokes is, you know, when I say, man, I'm super hungry today. And it's like, why? To be, you know, when you exercise like I do, you know, making a big deal about the fact that you're not eating or the fact that you're exercising so much. Um, Jesus says, don't do that. You see, it's, it's one thing to feel bad, right? All of us have bad days and all of us, sometimes we're sick. And when we have bad days or when we're sick, we might look sad or we might look like we're having a bad day. That's one thing, that, that, that's fine. But what Jesus is saying, is don't convert your fasting into a performance. Don't, instead of using it to gain God's perspective, you're, you're using it to gain attention from people. Jesus says, don't do that if you're his disciple. He says, but, right? Whenever you say, but, get rid of everything that came before. He says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Now, what Jesus has done here in one sentence is he takes the sort of quintessential um, practice of grief and expression of sort of mourning and expression of, of seriousness, and he has turned it into an occasion of celebration. Notice what he says. He said, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Now, in the Old Testament, these are symbols of joy and gladness. It would be like Jesus saying, when you fast, wash your hair, wash your face, put on your best dress. So get ready for a party. So in other words, when people look at you,
It'd be the exact opposite of what the hypocrite. One reason he says to sort of look like you're getting ready for a party is that your fasting should be so secret, right? It could be just hyperbole. That your fasting should be so secret that no one should know about it, and that your father who sees what happens in secret will reward you. Remember, he said the hypocrites they have their reward. The reward is is basically the the praise of men that's fleeting and it's gone. He says your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Um, the other thing to consider though is that our fasting has both a, a when we're thinking about entering into things from God's perspective, God's perspective has has a past, it has a present, and it has a, a future. And so, do we ever linger and and enter into not only God's grief about our past sins, maybe God's grief about our current situation, but actually God's joy about the future? Right? If you're going to be present with God, why not be present with Him? Not only in your grief and not only in in hardship but in the fact that things are also going to be made right someday. In, in other words, um, from God's, if, we, if, we, if you could completely look at things from God's perspective, right? If we could do that all the time, what we would see is on one hand, things aren't the way they're supposed to be right now. On the other hand, because of the work of your son, they will be the way they are supposed to be someday that someday all things will be restored. Someday all things will be redeemed. Someday there will be some great, big, huge party. And at that party will be every tribe, every tongue, every nation, everybody. There will be no more tears. There'll be none of that. Read Revelation 21 and 22 if you're wondering what God's perspective is on how things turn out in the end. And so our fasting is not just like, oh, woe is me, like things are horrible, I'm a horrible person, the world around me is horrible, but also that God has redeemed the world and is redeeming the world and will redeem the world. Our fasting enters into that as well. And of course, we see all of that stuff in the cross, right? In the cross, we see grief because of our sins. We see joy because of our forgiveness and we see hope because in the, in the end, um, Jesus wins, and in, in, in the end, things will be restored and redeemed. You know, I, I, one of my favorite sayings, I think it's from an anonymous uh, author, is like, right, in the end, everything is gonna be okay, and if everything's not okay, that means it's not the end. And what fasting does is it helps us to remind us of that. We practice fasting in order to be enter into God's perspective, and God's perspective is, in the end, everything is going to be okay, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. Now, I was tempted, and am tempted, to just stop right there and say, you think about that, but I think we need to talk a little bit more. Um, by way of, of conclusion, what, what, is, what is a good opportunity to fast, right, in here and now? And I was trying to, th thinking through things. And, you know, on February uh, 23rd, uh, a black man named um, Ahmad Abri was shot and killed by two white guys. And I know, given the nature of our country right now, just by saying that, some of you are triggered. Right? Some of you are liberal and you're triggered and you're saying, oh, I wonder what he's gonna do with this. And some of you are conservative and you're saying, oh, I wonder what he's gonna say about this. Because as soon as that happened, as soon as that became public, um, people were so predictable. 
right? People from a more liberal perspective were, you know, posting things all over social media. Oh, America's racist, things are this and that. And people from a conservative perspective oftentimes were saying, oh, in America, you know, like you don't have the full story and he had a criminal record and all of this. And I'm saying instead of that, this is an opportunity and was an opportunity, might still be an opportunity for fasting. Because whether you're liberal or whether you're conservative and you look at this event and you look at the way it was covered and the way it was handled, what a great opportunity to enter into God's perspective on these kind of events. Because no matter who you are, when you start looking at events like that from God's perspective, what you see is that if nothing else, it seems like it was racially motivated. God hates that. That should, that should help you understand the situation. Um, even if you think, well, he, you know, it was self-defense or whatever, the fact that the racism would still be around in our country has to grieve God's heart. So that's an issue. Or the fact that our country is so divided, do you have God's what do you think God's perspective is on the division in our country? All of these things we, you can't get by posting things and being triggered and, and by just sort of going off half cocked. And so when we begin to look at things from, from God's perspective, um, man, this guy lost his life. There's a race element, there's a division element, but also when we look at things from God's perspective, we know that there is a way forward, that, there, that if people would humble themselves, if people would get to know people from other races, when people, we know that there's glory coming, we know that the kingdom is coming, and that one way or the other, if you are white or black or any other color, you better get used to being with people of other races because that is the future of the kingdom of God. So here's my challenge for you. The next time something happens like that, and you are tempted to immediately start posting things on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Instead of fast, instead of Facebook, I want you to fast. Or let me put it this way. When the next time some big event happens that triggers you, think in your head, fasting, not Facebook. Before you post anything, before you say anything, before you make any comments, even to your family, maybe skip a meal. Maybe skip two meals. Try to enter into God's perspective. It might change everything for you. Now, think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray um, that we would be people, we would be Christians who are more willing to, uh, first, before we do anything else, enter into your perspective on events and be changed by your perspective rather than to constantly be pushing our perspective on to other people. Pray again that you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, typically at this point in the service, we would, at church, we would take a, sing the doxology and we would take an offer to offering. And if you were so inclined, if you're a member of New Hope, you're a supporter of New Hope, you can find information about giving in the information section below. Typically, also at this point, we would profess our faith before we ended the service and closed with communion. So before I do the profession of faith, I would remind you, um, if you want information on an ongoing basis from our church, there are a couple ways to get it. One is to like our Facebook page, to like the, the YouTube uh, feed that you're on right now, to subscribe to it, uh, because we are putting out things all week during, during the week. So if you wanna know what's going on, um, the other way you can do it is you can get our newsletter by writing 
hello at newhopekent.org and, and requesting to be a part of that. So with that said, I'm going to close today with the Heidelberg Catechism, question number 86. And the question that is asked in question 86 is this. It says, we have been delivered from our misery by God's grace alone through Christ and not because we have earned it. Why then must we still do good? Answer, to be sure, Christ has redeemed us by his blood, but we do good because Christ by his spirit is also renewing us to be like himself, so that in all our living we may show that we are thankful to God for all he has done for us, and so that he may be praised through us. And we do good so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruit, and so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Amen. Have a great week.